everybody for joining us. So, besides my first question of why has it taken so long for Australia to have a horror anthology film which is directed by women, how did all this come about? Where did it start, Megan? It started with Stranger With My Face International Film Festival. So, Bryony is the co-founder of that and a number of the people in this tile, this gallery, um, we met there and that was, I think it was 2012, I can't quite remember the year I first got there, but basically I'd made a short film, um, I didn't realise it was a horror film until Bryony <laughs> said, hey, do you want to program, we want to program your film, do you want to come down? And I was like, I thought it was a psychological drama, <laughs> even though the main character is haunted by a demon throughout the entire film. So I think. The things like, we don't see. Yeah, I think, I think the idea is is that um, a lot of women are making horrific, you know, horrifying films or films with horrifying themes and they don't quite realise it because it doesn't look like what we've seen on our screens. And, and that's because women have often been absent from um, the creation of those projects. And so we don't seem to, I think, I don't identify with it in that way. Um, and, look, there's been some great horror films that I love, but they're not necessarily ones that I see myself in. So long story short, went down to Stranger With My Face, found this amazing group of women making all these really incredible films, but I, I noticed that those films weren't necessarily giving them the opportunities that they deserved. At the same time, I um, made my first feature, Craft, and it was outside the system, so it was an independent film. And so I didn't quite realise, I mean, I knew it was hard to fund a film, but because I was working outside the system, you know, I was heading it up, you know, the lead actress and fellow producer is a woman, and then we had Robbie Miles, so that's Sarah Bishop, and Robbie Miles was the other producer. So it was a female-heavy creative team. So it didn't feel like a, you know, a patriarchal film. I'm not saying that all these other films are, are that, but the idea is, is by the time that it came to marketing and distributing the film, I had to rejoin kind of the industry in mm. order to sell it. Mm -hmm. I realised how incredibly sexist the industry was. Yeah. And so those two things combined, you know, the, meeting these amazing women and these films that I thought were great and then also going, oh, my God, this is so incredibly hard to sell my film because the people I'm selling it to are sexually harassing me in the middle of a meeting. So, oh, <laughs> so yeah. you know, okay. to put a positive spin on that, um, this was pre-Me Too and I don't think it would be so overt these days. I just went, <laughs> it's time, you know... Am I being too optimistic? <laughs> no, I was just saying. In the middle of a meeting. I'm hoping that it wouldn't happen in the middle of the meeting. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like, no, I think I think I, I was laughing at the fact that just because like subtle sexism and, and sexual harassment is that much better. It's not. I mean, <laughs> the tricky the tricky bit, I mean, this is a whole nother discussion, Sorry. but it's the tricky bit of overt sexism versus subtle sexism. Welcome, Can everybody. both be as harmful. <laughs> Can both be as harmful as each other. Yes. Um, but this was overt. Yeah. And so yeah. it was very obvious to me what was going on. So long story short, I was like, okay, it, you know, I got into WIFT, got into advocacy, and it had been a little while since Crush had come out. I wanted to create another project. Um, I didn't have the, like, I didn't have the energy or the money or the emotion to do another fully independent feature. And I met Enzo um, very briefly during Crush, and he gave me some really great advice. But we weren't friends. He was just, a, like, a good guy who gave me some advice because that's what, you know, good guys do. And I knew that he had made a horror anthology called A Night of Horror. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting approach because it's something that it's a curation, so you do a call-out, the segments already pre-exist, and then you, you know, create 
um, a package, the the wraparound to to pull it all together. So um, yeah, so I contacted Enzo and and thought, you know, maybe Enzo, you can tell that part of the story. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I think actually we we met at um, a night of horror film festival the year that anthology was screening and Crushed was screening that year as well. Um, but yeah, Megan uh, came to came to see me with this um, idea, this amazing idea, and I was kind of like, "Well, cool. I mean, if I can help, I'll help." Um, and you know, o- over time, looking at these amazing films and, and whatnot, uh, I became a lot more interested in, in the project at large. And it kind of, I don't know, just I can't even remember how I came on officially. Like it was really just a brain pick in the at the beginning. It was kind of like avoiding the pitfalls that I went through with, with, with Night of Horror uh, uh, anthology. Um, and, yeah, I just got deeper and deeper and here we are. I don't really know how much more there is to that particular story from it's... Well, it sounds like it was a no-brainer. It's such a brilliant idea. 100%. And with such incredible talent, with projects already sitting ready-made, it sounds, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Bryony, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how this all came about from your end. Um, yeah, so Stranger With My Face, the film festival, um, basically kind of came out of the women in horror movement, which is um, big in around the world but in the United States. And myself and another Tasmanian filmmaker, Rebecca Thompson, had been really supported by that network. So we kind of wanted to in turn create an opportunity that was supportive for Australian uh, women making horror. So, yeah, Megan uh, was one of a sort of core group within the festival, I guess, where she had her her short film there initially and then she sort of kept coming back and a few people did, like Katrina and Isabel and various people like that. And so we just sort of all got to know each other and so and it became a really close-knit group. And I think um, when Megan said she wanted to do this project, of course my immediate response was just obviously I'll support it however I can. Um, the festival will support it however it can because um, we just have all of these sort of shared goals, I suppose, around creating opportunities and particularly understanding that there's this huge wealth of genre talent in Australia that is very much untapped. Um, and that's not even just women or, you know, diverse people. That's just in general. I mean, Enzo would know that. Like there's just so much going on that's interesting and exciting and there's sort of no pathways for it often. So um, we're just both very um, on the same page with all of that. And then Megan's enthusiasm for this project is quite infectious and, um, you know, she's got this really can-do attitude and I was really excited to see that she got Leonie Marsh um, on board as a producer too and Enzo as, you know, executive producer because it's really hard to do it all by yourself and she has done a tremendous amount with this project but, um, you know, it's too much for one person to do everything by themselves. So it's been really beautiful to see that really create a collaborative spirit emerge with this project um, behind Megan and then all of us filmmakers together getting to know each other and supporting each other's work as well. And hopefully our careers beyond this project, that's what I would love to see happen. Absolutely. It feels like this is a real turning, well, not a turning point, but a key milestone. It's it's kind of funny because I was reflecting back on the process of it and everyone's short films were made in isolation, not thinking necessarily how they fit, that they would link up and fit into a, mm. a package. Um, 
and then to see them almost reborn in a way in in a collective story sounds is just phenomenal. Um, but what I'd love to do for as we continue talking is to broaden out this conversation beyond just around dark whispers, but to speak more broadly around how each of you have um, come along in this journey and where those short films kind of sat within your journeys as filmmakers to lead you to hear and what's what and as we keep talking, what the thoughts are for the future. Um, so I would love to hear, actually, Isabel, are you able to talk to us about how you got, where you're at in your career at the moment and how you came into where you're at right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've just finished uh, co-directing a feature documentary called Morgana, which had its world premiere at Melbourne International Film Festival in 2019 and also screening competition at the Sydney Film Festival this last year. Um, I'm currently developing a feature kind of hybrid feature animation horror gothic fairy tale um, and also a stop motion virtual reality film <laughs> set inside a woman's heart. <laughs> um, so, um, and yeah, so Gloomy Valentine, where it sits in my career, was my very first film. Um, I never went to film school. I don't have a university education at all. Um, I started out about 20 years ago as a special effects artist um, and in learning um, the skills and disciplines around special effects. And that was because I was into horror even 20 years ago. So I was, um, you know, indulging in my love of gore and viscera and creatures. Um, so I learned all these skills uh, associated with special effects, including stop motion animation, uh, but also kind of sculpture, costume making, um, creature building, all of this different stuff. But um, I felt like I was someone who had a lot of my own stories to tell. So rather than kind of moving towards being a technician, I wanted to use all these kind of weird and wonderful skills to interpret my own experience um, as a woman in the world, you know, which I guess I perceived had a bunch of horror attached to it, um, you know, psychological horror and the kind of visceral horror of that experience, I guess. So, um, so I used a lot of those skills and that training to to start telling my own stories and the first story was Gloomy Valentine um, and, um, yeah, I guess that spoke to me of, you know, these kind of cycles of pain that I'd gone through psychologically um, and the, the lyrics of the song really resonated with my experience on a personal level so it was kind of um, this um, thing that I used as a catalyst to interpret, you know, into that animation. Wow, as your first film, that's extraordinary. I had no idea that it was actually your first, mm. but not your first. Um, Marion, do you want to chat about where where um, the ride sat, sits in your career? Well, uh, my background on on one level is quite similar to Isabel. I hadn't didn't go to film school and I didn't go to university, but um, I had a, a huge love, always did have, for film and television, uh, absolutely addicted to it, still am. And uh, I worked in uh, television programming and then I went to, um, from television programming to uh, being an executive in charge of investing on behalf of organisations into uh, features and things like that. I did a lot of that in Australia uh, for five years. So, you know, the kind of Robert Connolly's and um, Rosemary Blight and Rachel Perkins and 
David Caesar and all of those people, you know, I was that executive working for a company investing in those films. Uh, it, the company was called Showtime. But eventually I started producing and then I just gave myself permission to do what I'd always wanted to do but never felt that I could because I had other responsibilities and that was to write and direct. And I figured that because I was a woman over the age of 50 and hadn't made a music video or worked for an ad agency, I wouldn't just be given something. I would have to make something. So I thought, well, I'll make... I'll make a few short films and unbeknownst to me, my father had written under a false name because at the time it was, you know, what he was writing about was very contentious. It was South African apartheid and all of that kind of thing. And he'd written this short story about this guy who gets picked up by a, a racist um, farmer. So I just reset that in modern time Dorset and... Um, Anthony Lapalia happened to read the script because I was working with him producing something else and just said, I want to play that driver. So I'm like, okay, you know, if you want to, there's no money, I can give you 40 quid. I think I paid him 40 pounds. And, um, yeah, it was really shocking because he, he, for him, because we drove down to Dorset, which is like a five-hour drive from London in a minivan with, the you know, most of the crew, and I'd packed little breakfasts and sandwiches the night before for everybody and there was no toilet where we were working and yeah I think Anthony probably regretted it but he did good <laughs> I mean he was being paid a fortune on some American you know show I can't remember what it's called without a trace and um yeah Whew. yeah <laughs> and it was and it was his first it was his first uh, uh English film so that was good. And then Ed Spaliers, who was this gorgeous guy, agreed to play the student. And um, we just got the Chinese guy down where we were filming and, you know, everybody mucked in. But, the, I mean, just before you go on, the interesting thing about the ride was that as my first feature um, short, I decided that I didn't want to have too many men on the crew because I knew that I couldn't talk technical and I just didn't want to get that fucking bamboozled you know, and then look like the idiot. So I got a female DP and a female focus puller and a female editor and, uh, you know, just every single role I could fill with women I did. And, and, and not because, I would love to say it's because I was, you know, an activist and, you know, really kind of, you know, woke or whatever term you want to use, but it wasn't. I just did it for my own instinctive uh, psychological preservation, making a first um, short film. And it was the best thing I ever did. Very smart. Um, Angie, you're nodding along very feverishly. Do you want to um, chime in? Absolutely. Um, I've, I've had a different trajectory. I have gone to film school um, and I got to the end of film school and went, now what? Um, yeah, which I think most women particularly do. Um, you know, we get to the end of film school and, and go, hmm, okay. So what is the next, where, where do we go from here? Um, the irony is I'm now back teaching at the film school that I went through um, and hopefully trying to address some of those questions for, for particularly the women that leave um, and trying to bridge some of those gaps. But, um, but yeah, my, my trajectory is a little, little similar in some ways. You know, I worked in sound, um, in sound design um, because... 
I guess I, I didn't know that women weren't make, meant to make genre films and they were the films I made at film school. They were all action adventures. Um, and then um, and then that was what I wanted to make and I've, I still want to make. I've got a speculative fiction sci-fi that I want as my next feature film and everyone looks at me going, um, really, I don't think so, Angie. That's a big uh, Yeah, back it. Film. That's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, and... Um, I was very fortunate, though. I I, um, I did get some government funding from Film Victoria to make a short film, which was, you know, very hard to get. We were just incredibly lucky. It was like winning the lottery. There was two short films funded a year and we were one of them. And, um, and that film was Bowl Me Over and it was a comedy and it won uh, Best Comedy at St Kilda Film Festival. And from that, I got approached by a television commercials director and um, got to play with commercials for a while, which was kind of great and not great as well. Um, uh, and, and then I just went into academia and, and went, I really want to find my voice again and want to make the films I want to make. Um, and, and actually that's where I made Birthday Girl. I actually, you know, I, I got sick of students complaining that they couldn't shoot a film in a weekend and they couldn't find any locations. And I said, this brilliant location's right here in the halls of, you know, the university and that's where we shot Birthday Girl and, and you know, it looks like a hospital because it's really institutionalised and it's just really great production design, had a really awesome team of people and, and it was super fun to make and, you know, it's also great to be able to say to the students, look, look what we could do on the weekend. And they go, oh, really? Shut up. Um, but, you know, um, and, and yeah, so I've since made a feature film um, much the same way as Megan did. You know, you, you kind of get sick of waiting and trying to get your big budget speculative fiction sci-fi up that no one's going to fund as a first feature and you kind of realise that at some point and go, yeah, all right, maybe I'll make another little smaller film. Um, and yeah, but you know, I'm still hoping to get that big budget feature up one day. It is, it is tricky trying to navigate, um, well, find the line between what your heart says you want to follow, what your passion projects are, but also being strategic about where the opportunities are sitting in reality and also not compromising on your vision. It's, it's a really hard line and particularly, particularly in genre, um, Bryony, do you want to talk about some of the challenges women in genre specifically face from your perspective? Um, I mean, there are all of the challenges that we face in general as, as women filmmakers, I guess, and I think a lot of people know about those. But in, in genre particularly, I guess, there are certain stereotypes about what a horror director looks like, for example, that can be really limiting um, you know, on the festival circuit, it wouldn't be unusual to go to an event and have a big lineup of, you know, guys in black t-shirts and and then there's one woman who just doesn't look like she belongs there. And of course, those subliminal ideas kind of sink in over time. Um, but I think, I mean, my uh, big thing that I'm interested in is um, genre definitions and the limitations of genre definitions, because I think there's there's huge discussions all the time whenever a project like this comes out, and there has been around this one already as well, of, um, oh, but that's not really horror. I don't know if that's horror. It's not really as scary as I wanted or, it, you know, some of it's scary, some of it. There's a very um, 
there's a very limited idea in the public imagination sometimes, I guess, of what horror itself means. And that's because it has been marketed strangely. Um, you know, there was a stigma around the word horror and on filmmakers called horror films thrillers to get around that stigma. So there's a lot of confusion around what it even means to begin with. But then I find particularly when women make horror, um, people don't really mean to, but in a sort of gatekeeping way, they try to define what horror is and they try to put women on the outside of it often. Um, so they'll kind of say, well, that's a really interesting story, but it's not horror. And I'm not sure why there is that instinct in people because really unless you're an academic or you're writing a dictionary or something, um, <laughs> who actually cares what the definition is? I mean, I don't anymore. I'm sort of sick of having the conversation, to be honest. But, but there's this kind of um, really strange instinct to just sort of keep defining these goalposts and I've noticed over time that it doesn't happen in the same way for male filmmakers. So, for example, um, someone like Ben Wheatley could make something really weird and trippy and arty and be totally accepted in the horror circuit and get, you know, the big prizes in the press and all of that. And if a woman made something like that, it would be kind of like it just wouldn't be centred in the same way because it would be like, oh, well, it's interesting, that's her unique voice, but it's not horror. So we're not going to put it on the big screen. Yeah. Um, so there's this kind of um, that latitude isn't sort of allowed for women in some ways. And, I mean, it's obviously because men have been controlling the film industry so they've kind of been, been defining things in the way that makes sense to them. But it's so ludicrous when you look back at the origins of the horror genre and people like Mary Shelley and <laughs> what she was talking about, which was reproduction and the most primal feelings of a woman through the, you know, the vehicle of Frankenstein. And you just think, how did we get to this situation where these sort of men are um, excluding women from horror? Like it's absurd. So there's all sorts of repercussions from that in terms of the way people protect their turf and the trolling of women filmmakers and all all sorts of things like that that are ongoing even though um, in some ways we've made quite a lot of progress, but in other ways um, things haven't shifted that much at all, I don't think. Yeah, absolutely. Katrina, you are desperately wanting to jump in on here. Let's... I know, I'm like, yes, Ronnie, yes. Um, okay. I just, I guess, what I, what, sorry? I was Can lighting you. <laughs> I guess what I want to say, and speaking to what you're talking about, Ronnie, and that's that we have to understand that the dominant power the person who holds the most money, who has the most power, those people, they always create the definitions, definitions of beauty, definitions of whatever, and in this case, the definitions of what's her. And so that's why, even though we actually live as women and, um, and uh, you know, people who are gender diverse as well, right, or people who are, um, you know, in um, disability, like we live horror daily. And yet, because we aren't in the dominant passion, with this genre and this genre, we don't get to define what horror is, which is bullshit. Oh, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Which is bull, right? So um, that's why that's why it's so important when we have um, people like Bryony and um, Megan who come around and sit up and say, actually. You know, this entire festival that um, Bryony created was constantly getting like, well, what's women's horror? What's women's horror? It's like, okay, it's us, and that's scary to you because we're saying what we want to say in all the variety of ways that we want to say it. And, and that's, it's about taking that power and saying we get to make the defi definitions, not you. 
Absolutely, 100%. And I think it's really interesting as well, like going off what Bryony was talking about in terms of the origins of the horror genre. Obviously, it goes back well before even Mary, um, Mary Shelley. So Katrina, your project uh, as part of this is The White Song, which is an Indonesian ghost story. And Jubs, yours is actually a dreaming story as well. Do you want to talk about, do, would either of you like to come in on this conversation here? Jub, you go first. I'm just, I'm finding my unmute button. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like I grew up being terrified all the time by my family. They thought it was hilarious. You know, every time we'd go camping, they'd find the most darkest, desolate place and tell us kids the worst stories and I loved it (laughs) and so pretty much story time um it's my first short film as well um I was approached by um Annie Lynette Narkel who at the time was the Indigenous Film Coordinator for Screen West and she pretty much came into Yuri Yarkin because I I come from a background of theatre uh and she's like does anyone want to make a film (laughs) I was like yeah I do um, and so, yeah, I was I was uh, given a, a, a bit of cash and went and shot this film. And and when I was asked, you know, what sort of story do you want to tell? I was straight away, I was like, oh my god, I want to do a supernatural thriller. Of course, I do. This is this is my this is my thing. Um, and so, one of the most scariest stories that I know is is of the Gunbun woman from the mangroves. Um, and of course, our uh, for us mob, those things aren't fantastical. They're they're real. You know, they they exist in the environment and, you got, you know, not everyone gets to see them, thank God. But uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, my, my first uh, short story time, um, we shot it. Uh, it was, um, it did its little festival rounds and this was like a 15, maybe even, oh, God, I'm giving my age away, but, yeah, like 17 maybe years ago. Um, and then, you know, I was really lucky um, that Animal Logic sister company, Truant Pictures, um, uh, saw it somehow and approached me to turn it into a feature. So, and then, of course, the beautiful ladies here um, at NZO approached um, uh, me and said, oh, well, no, I take that back. The new uh, Indigenous film coordinator from Screen West um Davina McPherson sent me the link that you guys were sending out going oh my god they're looking for horrors Javi you've got a horror this is your this is your platform uh and so I sent it in and and this this little story that started off from my ancestors has just found these beautiful little homes to just you know inspire and terrify a new generation of children excellent because that's what we want Uh, same, same for me, Jeff. Like that, the Kuntil Anak, which is the ghost that um, is uh, at the center of my story, um, it just terrified me as a kid. I grew up in Indonesia and in Jakarta, and um, I was terrified, terrified of her. And 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 like like you say too, Jeff, it's like this is our, this isn't a story. This is real. This is real for us. And in fact, I, what I think I noticed is when I was shooting it, I remember I had this, you know a lot of Indonesian people working on it, um, but I also had. Um, um, a lot of white people working on it. And so I had to have this meeting with the crew and the kind of cast and say, okay, um, we're going to discuss 
um, you know, culturally discuss this piece of work that we're all about to commit to. And I remember um, I think so the first thing you have to understand is this is real for us, the Kuntalanak. And I could hear people kind of going, right, especially people who know me and they kind of have that white lens of, of me. And then they have, I have all my Indonesian friends. They're like, oh, yeah, I have a Kuntalanak in my house. Or when I was a kid, you know, and they start talking about this ghost and they're all, I can see the eyes just getting wider and wider of our, of our crew. So it was like this cultural, um, cultural lesson as well, which was really good. Um, and I mean, my mother was like, you mustn't write about her. She'll come. She'll come. You mustn't write about her. But I did. Um, and and I and for me, I wrote it from the ghost perspective because I was very interested in the trope, um, like the social. I have a sociology under, undergraduate, so I think in this, in, in kind of sociologically, what position does this ghost, who's a ghost of a pregnant woman who's usually pregnant from a um, either a, a a bad marriage or a rape, like a really um, unpleasant experiences, and then she dies in birth, comes back and wants to you know haunt women who are pregnant and um, and men and children. So, like, what position does she hold, and why do we hate her so much? Um, you know, because actually she went through a pretty crappy time and it was unfair what happened to her and she's seeking justice. So she's actually a justice seeking ghost. So I wanted to speak from that perspective. Um, and, and that's why through. I. Yeah. yeah. In, this, in, in the film. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Rosie. I, I want to say just really quickly to all of you people who I can't see, but I can hear you when you clap. It's so nice. Um, is that I, I really love all the films, the variety of films that Megan's curated here, and and, um, and they're just each each person has has this different voice and such beautiful voices. Um, I really, um, if you haven't seen the film, I encourage you to see it because there is such a variety of of definitions about what horror is and what that is for each of us so um yeah quite uh, a yeah of, of female horror and it's very beautiful um and we will keep spruiking it throughout the evening so this won't be the last time you hear that um, i just sorry i'm just gonna say it, it's it that resonated so much with me with all of my crew on my set as well and of course i had us all camping in the mangroves um while we were shooting <laughs> But it was that whole thing of going, oh, yeah, and then, oh, and more and more. And because I had cultural, um, uh, my uncles and my family as cultural kind of cocoons around this shoot because of what we were shooting. Because in our culture as well, it's like, don't talk about it, don't write about it, or it'll come for you. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Katrina. Um, but, yeah, it was that whole learning process for everybody. <laughs> and I had my poor nephew play the kid who gets taken. And, and for years, everyone was like, is JJ okay? <laughs> Too good. But it is. It's also, so again, I wanted to throw to you here for the segment that you did, the book of Dark Whispers, because um, from the interview that you did the other day with SBS, um, which is where you can watch it, um, <laughs> you were talking about how the the secrets that of the women's circles and the um, the stories that we that get passed down generations or between friends and the impact they have on each of us. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, so, you know, Brian and I were curating it together and we were, so when we did the call out, we didn't actually have a particular theme. So I did a call out, I think July 2018 through IF, basically saying if you've got a horror film and, you're, um, and you live in Australia and you're a woman, send it through. Um, and as we were going through them, uh, we were trying to decide, well, okay, what's going to be the unifying themes? And the original title of the film was actually Dark Lessons, which isn't as sexy as Dark Whispers. So, <laughs> so it didn't stick. But I think the idea behind that was actually what I meant. And I think it's that idea that as, um, I mean, all of us, you know, no matter what gender you are, are brought up in a culture that 
um, passes down a legacy of the way to behave, social norms, um, you know, the way to treat each other well, ethics, values, all that kind of stuff. But I think particularly as women, we are told quietly, this is how you need to behave in the world in order to, you know, survive. Like, here's how you have a good life. Here are how you get the things you want. Here is how you don't get killed. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's serious. And it's not always said in those ways, but it's, you know, don't wear that, don't catch a taxi home, you know, at night on your own, don't walk here, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And even then, that's not going to guarantee your safety. So the idea, though, is us getting all of these, no, you have to do these things to keep yourself safe, but also how do we, you know, be free and live and enjoy life and trust people. And trust people. And so it's that idea, I mean, the whole, you know, in the film, it's kind of giving it away, but not really. It's the idea that you really have to face the darkness and look at the darkness and see what that darkness is. And then you can carry through that darkness towards the light. It's that, you know, that kind of a life lesson. And I feel like that each of the, you know, some of the segments are, um, you know, there's a few comedic segments that are a lot funner. So, you know, they're not all fully heavy, heavy, but it is that idea that, um, I don't know, I feel like horror is often, you know, it's kind of like those dark fairy tales that we all read when we were growing up. There, there's lessons in them or, you know, little comments about things you might just have to be aware of. Absolutely. I'm going to pivot this one slightly and throw across to the person in the corner who hasn't said very much. Um, <laughs> uh, to ask about just in general, more broadly in genre in Australia, it's a unique place to be positioned in a very competitive industry. Um, Enzo, can you talk through some of that? Uh, yeah, sure. Look, it's interesting hearing uh, the conversation thus far about um, uh, the challenges for all of these filmmakers in genre as women because gender aside horror in particular has such a stigma against it um in a lot of ways in in you know the layers that are there that make a great horror film um can be deceptive when you're in there trying to pitch something trying to get something off the ground um you say the word horror and there is immediately a uh, a preconception that comes with that which they're not listening past that. They're like, oh, yeah, horror, right. Blood, gore, killing high body counts. Got it. I know what, you, I know what you're pitching me. And the, the sophistic, any sophistication that comes after that just gets completely and utterly missed. Um, so, you know, the, the, the fact that um, uh, all these filmmakers, as women, you're trying to get this, there's a whole other level of stuff that you guys are having to deal with as well in the room is, is, is really... Um, I just don't, it's a miracle anything gets made. Yeah. And let alone intersectionality when you're layering other different identities on top of that, being right. female not identifying and all of the different things. 100%. So, um, but um, there was something I was going to say, now it's escaped my brain. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I think uh, that it's part of the reason that this particular project, to bring it back to this one, um, started sucking me in more and more as we got into it because every... Uh, every film that uh, Megan and Bryony curated, we think this is going to be in and we think it's that and you're looking over the spectrum of it, they're so unique, they're so across the um, the length and breadth of... <laughs> behind you, behind you. Um, they, they, they span the breadth of what horror as a genre can be. Was what I was going to say. Sorry. Yes, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> it was just so uh, well-timed. I couldn't... <laughs> I couldn't not. Um, 
Well, yes, it's such a testament that all of these films have been made. And I think you said you had 50 submissions? Yeah, over 50 submissions. So, Phenomenal. Yeah, and we look, we had a lot of, um, you know, I obviously love all of these films. I wouldn't have chosen them if I didn't love them. But, you know, I often say to people, I had to say no to a, a lot of films that I thought were really great. And 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 I just want to remind, there's a lot of filmmakers in the audience, and this isn't just about this film, but it's like you submit your film to festivals, you put your applications in, and you get no's, and you get no's, and you get no's, because there's so much content. And it doesn't mean that your project isn't worthwhile and it doesn't mean that it isn't valuable. It means it just wasn't right for that particular thing. And that was the case in this one. There was a lot of really great films that just didn't quite fit this. So absolutely. It's such a competitive industry and we're all suckers for being in it. <laughs> Is that the takeaway? No. Um, we're all in... <laughs> Sorry. Inspirational, Rosie. Inspirational. <laughs> Anyone who knows me, this is the flip side of what you don't usually see. <laughs> but it is like we we work so hard, and there is there is so much passion and love and dedication that gets put into everything that gets made um, by everyone, and it is it it is a really a really tough. Um, industry to be in but there are such incredible people like just the people in this room and on these this zoom and sitting with me up here are all absolutely inspirational and I honestly wouldn't be here without you but yeah <laughs> um let's keep moving on though in terms of how to navigate how tricky the industry is what can filmmakers do what strategies have each of you done to be able to get through because it is a hard landscape who who said they wanted to speak to that I can't remember who wants to jump in with some pointers on how to go through it Katrina I will um yeah you you need really good friends a hundred percent you need people you love you trust who are there no matter what they'll celebrate your wins they will like understand when you're down and or it's down and also get that remind you that it's not always you. It's really important, I think, to have people around you who will remind you that it's not always you, um, that there is a system um, that we're all living in and that system doesn't always preference our voices. And um, so if you're getting no's like Megan did with Crushed, you know, it's not always you. And um, that's why, again, you know, the uh, Strange With My Face Festival, which, by the way, has not had funding, which is why Bryony hasn't run it again. Um, and should be funded because look what's come out of it, come out of all, not just this project, all of us knowing each other with um, Women in Film and Television Australia. Like there are so many of us who have come out of this particular one person, Bryony Kidd, calling us all in and saying, hey, you know, <laughs> I love weird and you're all awesome. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, joining us together. So that that community, um, people often talk about the industry. I really am interested in the community. So yes, you're entering the industry, but you've got to you've got to have a community to enter it with. So. I just to jump in very quickly. Wift Australia is a direct result of Stranger with My Face. So for those of you who are familiar with Wift, so Wift New South Wales has been around for you know almost four decades. Um, and um, the Sausage Party protest. If those of you don't know what that is, look up hashtag Actor Sausage Party. You'll be <laughs> explained. <laughs> don't yeah. Um, make sure you put in actor, you might get something, you might get something entirely different. But long story short, I went down after that protest to um, Stranger With My Face in Tassie and Katrina, we'd never met before, and, but we'd been online and Katrina was like, oh my God, we need a whiff in Queensland. And I was like, hold up. 
we don't need to have 500 not-for-profit organizations. Let's just have one. Yeah. And she was like, well, then let's create a WIFT Australia. And then, so, you know, WIFT New South Wales doesn't exist anymore because it's been pushed up to WIFT Oz. So, like, yeah. that's stranger with my face. I don't think that would have happened without that conversation. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. The things that happen. Incredible. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> If, Rosie, if I could just speak to that yes, for please. a second. I think that it's um, a really good example of what going out there and creating an opportunity for yourself looks like. Um, and I, I think as I was thinking about your question, that was probably going to be somewhat what that was going to be my answer was the worst thing you can do is wait for it, wait for an opportunity, try and work out how to do it. The best thing you can do is get out there and do, um, you know, Megan and I have worked together as a result of um, meeting at, at the festival, but also this project led to you coming on board Deadhouse Dark, you know. Um, we've known each other for years, Rosie. You came on board because of an audition that you did years ago for a project. It's Which like, I didn't get, by the way. <laughs> that's another story for another time. Um, but, you know, if you're, out, if you're putting yourself out there, you're meeting people, starting communities running film festivals, the thankless task of, you know, uh, Bryn, who I think is here somewhere, and I ran one last year. I just, it's, I don't know how you do it with no money. It's ridiculous. Um, uh, so, well done. That was a compliment, even though it might not have sounded like one, <laughs> Bryony. But, you know, doing these things are what cause, what open up the opportunities for you to be, you know, uh, you be ready when they come up, but they're not just going to present themselves. Get out there, do it. That's how you meet the people. That's how you get it done. Absolutely. Angie, you're nodding again. Do you want to jump on in? I, I, I think mine's just a quick takeaway, but really it just follows on what Enzo was saying about, you know, perseverance. Um, you, you just, you will find your people, you will find your audience, but you have to just keep plugging away. And I think the other thing from that is um, not being afraid to fail. We've, you know, that's, that's part of the creative process is you make work and you go, oh, what was I trying to say there? And, you know, sometimes it doesn't come off the way you want it to, but you just you just can't know everything. And the only way you'll get better is to keep making. Um, and I think that tends to be a little gendered is that often women think we need to know everything in order for us to master it. And God knows I know that. I've, I've done a master's and a PhD and I still don't know anything. So, you know, what a waste. What a waste of those years. Um but you know, I do. I do think it's really just just keep making, just keep making, and it's got easier to make. So you know, you will find. I mean, you know, we're all very very lucky that Megan put this together, and our projects found an, another life, which was just terrific. You know, absolutely. There is the complexity around making things where you do need to, where you fail publicly, or you don't necessarily have um, all of the resources behind you to do the thing perfectly. In that. Uh, it's a very critical world out there. And thankfully, yes, Marion, do you want to jump in on that? Uh, yeah, well, I made a uh, my first feature film, which, I, which was about an ambivalent woman uh, and was to me a kind of a horror film because it was The Visitors from Hell, um, was marketed as a romantic comedy. That's fine. The distributor needs to do what they need to do, you know, put it in a box. But it was made for women 35 plus and, you know, 
and you put yourself out there, which you do, you know, it's a first feature and it's got all of the flaws and the problems that you would expect with a first feature. Um, but I was happy with it, so that was okay, that was good. But what I realised when the, and also we went out the same week as Crazy Rich Asians, The Book Club and The Wife, which were all targeted at my audience, and those three films I think took 98% of the available box office for three weeks, so that left 2% for the other 16 films on release. So I think maybe my film did 100 grand, something tiny, tiny specs, right? Uh, the distributors were utterly delightful and gracious in, in defeat and were just really wonderful to me. But what I discovered was that the two major male critics who were over 50 and white hated it. They absolutely hated this woman. They didn't hate the performance, right? You know, all the actors got nice, nice kind of write-ups. They just absolutely hated the idea that an ambivalent woman would leave this seemingly, uh, you know, handsome, nice guy for an older man or a different life, which wasn't what the film was about at all. But that's that is not how the male view of that film was interpreted. Now, there's nothing I can do about that because women don't necessarily go on to IMDb and rate and they don't go on to Rotten Tomatoes and, you know, I think it's two to one, female critics to male critics. And the women who did watch it, who were in the target, loved it and that was very rewarding. But as a female filmmaker, you're, you're, you're putting yourself out there and the way that critiques work now is um, it's better to be negative and, and get, you know, grabby quotes and things like that, you know, the cult of personality of the critic. And instead of just for one newspaper, now everything's been amalgamated. So you might get a horrific review which will go out to 80 newspapers. And when people look up to go and see a film like everybody else and put it into Google, that's the review that comes up first. So it was really, for me, a huge lesson in, because, of course, you feel terrible. It's, it's awful, you know, to read terrible things about your work. But, you know, got to get on. You put yourself out there, as you say. You put yourself out there, you're going to get, um, you're going to have to deal with what happens. That's the name of the game. And how did you deal with what happens? How did you, how did you take steps forwards after that? Um, well, uh I wrote a lot um, and I kind of had an inkling before it came out from what men were saying to me who'd seen the film. I kind of, there were little bells ringing and I'm thinking, oh, they really hate her. You know, they hate the protagonist. And so I was almost prepared. But um, uh, I can't, you know, I just kept working basically. I, I went on a recce for something. I was writing something. Um you know, and, uh, I mean, this year I made a dating cooking show for 50-plus singles for community TV called Recipe for Love, and that was fun. So it's just kind of doing things that I hadn't done before. So like resilience, and I think that's the thing in order resilience, to... Resilience, yeah. The resilience that you need, and I think it's also the idea that um, you need to... Um, rather than measure yourself by the external success or failure, it's measuring it by the values that you have. And if that's an important thing that you want to get out there and you are able to express that, then that is 
that's the whole point of why we make art. Like we make art to express a point of view and you found those audience members and they got it. Yeah. And that was the point of the project. And so I guess the, the, the takeaway for me is that if you're ever watching a movie that's been created by female film, filmmakers in particular and you like it and you get it and you've got an IMDb Pro account, jump on there and write a review. Don't give it 10 stars though because they'll actually not use mm. it. Give it nine stars. <laughs> but, but get on there and rate it because we need more um, people who respond to female-led stories positively being active and, and public about it. So on that, I just want to say thank you to everyone. And I do have a list of thank yous, but this has been the most incredible panel that I did not know where it was going to go. <laughs> so to wrap this all up, I just want to say um, Hemlock and Cedar Films has been funded by the City of Sydney Council to run a series of filmmaker workshops on to topics such as script writing, directing, acting for camera, feminist horror, and so forth, which is going to be led by the Dark Whispers team. Yeah including Megan, Bryony, Katrina, and that's going to be starting from May onwards. Um, alongside the initiatives, the Gender Matters Task Force, which I currently sit on as well, is uh, has mentorships open, which is in partnership with WIFT as well. So please sign up through the WIFT website, either as a mentor or a mentee. We all have skills that we can share and we've all got things that we can learn. So get on board and share that amongst your people as well, please. Um, and we need to say thank you to Hemlock and Cedar Films, City of Sydney, Actors Centre Australia, Stranger With My Face International Film Festival, the New South Wales chapter of WIFT Australia, Screen Vixens and Film Fatales. Oh, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more or discover some of the great chats we had in season one, please head to our website, www.theshortfilmpod.com and sign up to get all the latest updates. We also have all the show notes for each episode listed there and links to all these fantastic short films. Until next time, keep creating. Keep creating.